Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the life that we live, we have to make decisions. We're constantly being exposed to choices that we have to make in our daily life, regardless of how we are living our life, where we are living our life, with whom we may be living our life with. Regardless of these things, we're always having to make choices and decisions about what we're going to do and what we're not going to do, what kinds of things we're going to get involved in or what kinds of things we're not going to get involved in. And one of the most common questions that a Christian will ask is, is this the kind of thing that God would want me to do or that he would not want me to do? Is this something that he has for me to do or is this something that he does not want me to be involved in? These kinds of questions have to do with the will of God. And in many cases, people are looking at the will of God in the context of what would he desire for me or what would he desire me to do or how would he like me to respond to the current situation or what kind of a decision would he like me to make in light of what he is doing. And this is a great concern that many people have because, as the Lord has said, he has prepared the works for us to walk in, for us to live in. He has prepared things for us to do. Because of that, we definitely don't want to miss out on what he has perhaps spent years in preparation for. He may have gone through great significant efforts to interact with and be a part of people's lives. Our God may have been very involved in other people's lives, actively participating in their lives, generating circumstances, directing circumstances, directing people, directing decisions and directing choices. And we would like to do what the Lord has for us to do. There's no question about that whatsoever. And so given these circumstances, it is a very common question for Christians to ask, what would the Lord like me to do? Given the choices that are presented before me, what should I be doing? What should I be thinking about doing? What are the choices that I should really make? Because I want to know what God wants me to do, and I don't want to make a decision that's going to prevent him from experiencing the greatest benefit for what he is doing here on earth. These are the kinds of questions that people will often ask. I'll often present this in the context of having a meal, where people will sit down and they'll have to look at a menu, and they have to decide, well, should I have the steak, chicken, or fish, for example? And this becomes a question of what is the will of God for me in that sense. Does he want me to have the steak? Does he want me to have the chicken? Or does he want me to have the fish? These are the kinds of questions that people will sometimes ask all the way down to this kind of granularity or this level to see whether or not they really are doing what the Lord wants them to do. But this is kind of an exaggeration when you consider many other choices that we are exposed to. For example, people are often concerned about what job they should take or not take. Should they work for one company or should they work for another company? These are very life-impacting decisions when you consider what kind of employment you might have or not have, who you might work for or who you might not work for. The assumption that many people are making is that they don't want to choose the wrong job or the wrong employer because if they do that, then based on their perception about how the Lord is wanting to bless them in their daily lives, 
If they choose the wrong job, then they're concerned that they may experience some catastrophic failure of some kind. They may experience catastrophic or significant loss in choosing the wrong job. They might lose that job. Maybe the company will go out of business, and then they will have committed themselves, the person will have committed themselves to various things, perhaps some debt or other contracts that would have depended on their ability to perform in this job. And if they don't have the job available anymore, then what are they going to do? So these are concerns that people have, and they'll normally look to God, they will seek after him, they will pray to him, hoping that he will respond to them and tell them precisely what they should do. What kind of a choice should they really make? This is a very common issue. Another example is moving from one location to another, moving from one state to another, or just from one city to another. Where should we really live? Should we live in one community or should we live in another community? And there is great risk in moving to the wrong community because if we do that, then perhaps we might have greater exposure to sin. We might find ourselves being tempted by more sin. These are the kinds of things that go on in people's minds. Or, God forbid, we might have to pack up and leave and move somewhere else because the circumstances in our life by moving there are such that we end up having to relocate again. And these are the kinds of struggles that people have. They're wondering, is this what God wants me to do or does he not want me to do this? Now, in most cases, I sincerely believe that the Lord has provided us with the options to choose, to decide what we are going to eat or what we are not going to eat when it comes to steak, chicken, or fish, for example, or if we are going to take one job or another job. I sincerely believe that the Lord has provided us with many opportunities, many choices, and has given us the freedom and the liberty to choose and decide what we are going to do in response to the circumstances that are presented before us. People are concerned about moving to one location or to another location. And these are concerns that people have, and they are very real concerns. But in most cases, what people are really concerned with is they're concerned about loss or failure. They're concerned about issues of their flesh. That's what they're mainly concerned about, which I can certainly appreciate to a certain degree. But understand that when we look to God for the blessings of our flesh in hopes that we're going to make the right decisions and so that he can maximize the opportunity to indulge our flesh, I personally believe that this is an invalid pursuit in terms of wanting to understand or know what he would desire for us or what he would want for us. I personally believe that he is more concerned with other things. For example, regardless of what job we take or what job we don't take, I think he is more interested in being able to go into that job workplace with us and so that he can interact with other people through us, within and through us. Regardless of what company we work for or what company we do not work for, those are opportunities for him to go in and invade the lives of other people as you interact with other people on the job while you are working during the day or during the evening, depending, of course, on what kind of a job that you actually have. And so if we were to look at it from that point of view, we can see that there should not be so much of a burden placed on us in terms of what kind of a job should we have or what kind of a job should we not have. That really should not be so much a matter of our concern. The same thing applies for location in terms of where you are going to live or where you are not going to live. Regardless of where you go, if the living God is living within you, residing within your very being, it's not going to really matter a whole lot of where you go because wherever you go, you're going to take him with you. And if you don't go to one place, then he can always go to that place within and through someone else. He doesn't need us to be everywhere. He certainly doesn't expect us to be everywhere. 
I think that's relatively clear because it's not possible for us to be everywhere. But there are bigger matters, there are bigger concerns even beyond this that many people are very concerned about when it comes to the subject of what is the will of God for my life. For example, should a person get married to one person or another person or not get married at all? Marriage is a very serious matter. It's a very serious concern when you have two people who are going to bond together and begin to live a life with each other. This is a very serious issue because there are differences of opinions about how life is to be lived and how a person wants to live their life. And if you have two people who are coming together who want to live different kinds of lives, then their ability to harmonize with one another is going to be very much challenged. It's going to be very hard, very difficult. These are struggles that people have all the time. It's very common, not unusual at all. But when considering a subject like this, we wonder, well, does God have this person for me? Is this the person that I should marry? Is this the one that he has picked out for me? And if he is not, then there could be some serious repercussions to this. Consider what happens if you marry the wrong person. If you marry the wrong person, then you take that person out of the marriage pool. And whoever they were supposed to marry, according to God's design, you have now thwarted his will, or you have invaded or interfered with the will of God, the desire of God. And so this person is not going to be marrying the right person. And this can go to the next person also. If you take that person out of the marriage pool, then they're not going to be available to marry the right person either, or the right person after that, or the right person after that. And you can see how the wrong decision can skew the lives of millions of people. If you're not careful, these are the kinds of conclusions that we would logically come to in the event that that is a correct doctrine or a correct teaching that we are to try and adhere to. For that reason and many others, I sincerely do not believe that God has chosen a particular spouse for every person. He might certainly try to get two people together and he may have someone for you or he may have someone for someone else. I'm certainly not going to say that he does not do that. However, I'm not going to say that he is obligated to do that either. I'm not willing to say that he is required to do that or that he has even promised that he will always do that. And so those are decisions that he makes in terms of how he is going to intervene and how he is going to integrate within the lives of other people, his life within their lives, and what he is going to inspire people to do in one sense or another. These are specific issues that are only lived on a case-by-case basis. When people assume that this is something that they are bound to and that they are really concerned with, then there are many catastrophic results that could happen. Many catastrophic results, especially if they marry the wrong person. For example, if the person marries someone and then they discover that their marriage is having significant challenges and difficulties, they might assume that this is a sign or this is a signal to show that perhaps they have married a person that was not within the will of God, that was not the right person to marry, and so they had better divorce them right away so that they can be available for God to direct them to the person that they should be married to. These are the kinds of things that go through people's mind that people actually discuss and talk about and will use as excuses in order to divorce one or another. This is a serious issue, a very serious concern. When it comes to the subject of the will of God for a person's life, many people are very concerned and in many cases are consumed, absolutely consumed, 
to the extent where they can put themselves into some serious personal and spiritual bondage because of the confusion and the uncertainty in their daily lives. The lack of peace within their lives will be very well pronounced as a result of this, and this leads to several very important, critical challenges that a person will have to further face as they try to live the life that they have, their life in Christ. The will of God has been described in several ways in the Scriptures. For example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, it is described in the context of avoiding sin, beginning in verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion and lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. In that sense, the will of God for us is that he does not want us to pursue sin, which I believe should be relatively obvious. We don't have to describe that as his will for us or his desire for us. I think that that's relatively obvious, but it is written. It is written, and we should consider that to that certain degree. Now, obviously, we're not going to avoid sin by our own pursuit of obedience to God. This is something that happens as he fulfills the deepest longings of our heart. Sexual immorality, for example, is normally a sin that a person pursues in the event that they are trying to find love or acceptance from someone else. And so if we were to only rest in the love and the acceptance that we have from our God, we would not normally be as inspired to try and pursue that from someone else, that of which we certainly are not going to obtain, especially not to the fullness of what we most certainly need. Our God is the only one who can truly meet that deep need within us. And so in that sense, the will of God is not to just try to live in obedience, but the will of God is for us to believe and trust in what he has for us so that we would not be pursuing that. Another example is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, where Paul said, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And when we look at a passage like this, it's very easy to look at it and think, well, everything that is happening in your life is the will of God for you. Everything that is happening, if it's good, bad, or ugly, no matter what it is, this is what he desires for you. That's how this verse is normally read, normally interpreted. And when this is read in that context, then this can take quite a burden off some people if they are very much concerned with whether or not they are in the proper will of God, this can take a little bit of a burden off of them just by saying, don't worry, no matter what is happening, that is the will of God for you. But this can be very problematic, especially in the face of sin. If someone is hurting you, if someone is sinning against you and violating you in a very deep and personal way, if someone is really deeply hurting you, if this is the case, is it is it going to be just convenient for me to say, well, this is the will of God for you, this is what God wants for you, and so you should be thankful for it. That can be cruel. That can be really mean. And yet I know many pastoral counselors who do believe this and have conveyed this to others on many occasions. This is certainly something that gets taught within the pastoral and ministerial leadership within Christianity today. And I think it's very unfortunate and can be very traumatic and very damaging. And many people will turn away from God because they think of God as being this big ogre in the sky who's looking for opportunities to hurt them. That's what people believe after being told things like that. Instead, I think the emphasis on this verse is to give thanks. Not that all things are 
his will in the sense of all things that are happening to you are the desire of God. But his desire for you is that you may find a way to give thanks in the midst of all aspects of your life to include the sufferings that you will definitely encounter. To give thanks for the sufferings, not because God has found some way to cause you to suffer. I do not believe that that is the case. I believe that you can give thanks in the midst of sufferings knowing that he can find ways in order to use those circumstances in your life to grow you closer to him to develop additional character within you in the midst of those sufferings. Those are things that you can be thankful for. I don't want to suggest that you should be thankful for suffering and loss and sin that is being perpetrated against you. I don't think that's a good thing at all. But you can give thanks for what the Lord may do in the midst of that. You can give thanks for the revelation of himself that he can perform the revealing of himself to you in the midst of and because of and in contrast with those circumstances that you find yourself being confronted with. And so these are the kinds of issues that normally come up when talking about the subject of the will of God. In fact, there are many books that have been written on the will of God, that you can know the will of God or how to know the will of God. There are many books, there are many attempts that people have made to try and help people to know what the will of God would be for their life. And in many cases, the books will focus and emphasize on prayer and waiting. And usually that means waiting until there is no other option, and then that becomes the clear option that is God's choice. Often that is a conclusion that many people come to. But the idea is is that God has something specifically for you. He has a specific desire for you, and you have to figure it out. You had better figure it out, and if you don't figure it out, then you're going to perhaps interfere with his will, interfere with his desire. These are the kinds of things that people end up struggling with. What I have found very interesting, however, is that within these books, within the, the papers that I've seen people write and the messages that people have given in sermons and on radio broadcasts and the such, in most cases people are ignoring, I sincerely believe they are ignoring, probably the most important part of the subject of the will of God entirely. They completely miss the primary issue with relevance to the will of God. Certainly he has desires for us. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. But there's something else about the will of God. There is a whole different idea behind the will of God that seems to be completely ignored, seems to be completely ignored to the extent where it's unusual for me to find anyone who can even relate to it. And that is that the will of God is not just a matter of his desire for us. More specifically, it is the description of an inheritance. And that's a complete paradigm shift, a total paradigm shift from considering his will in terms of his desire for our daily experiences and our daily life to completely shift that concept over to something totally unrelated, or at least it appears to be totally unrelated. That's the appearance. It really is not. But that's the appearance on the surface when people first consider that, that the will of God is actually something entirely different. When I describe it as the description of an inheritance, think of it in this context. When you pass from this life into the next, when you physically die, there will be possessions that you have that will be left behind. What's going to happen to those possessions? What will people do with them? Who will then have ownership of these things? 
what people normally do is they sit down and they write these things out in advance. They decide who is going to have what and who is going to have something else. These are decisions that hopefully you will make before you pass from this life into the next. And if you don't, then in most cases, the state that you reside in has rules and regulations and laws governing the distribution of the property that you have before you passed away. These are decisions that will be made for you regardless of whether or not you make them prior to your death. These decisions are recorded in what we call a will, where you sit down and you write out your will and testament. Your decisions about how your property is to be distributed amongst those that are close to you, those who are important to you. If you do not have a will, again, there are laws that govern how that stuff is distributed. But in general, we would like for people to write these things out in advance and make decisions for themselves. This is a will, and it goes into effect when you die. That's when it goes into effect. It doesn't go into effect while you're alive. It goes into effect after you have died. That's when your will goes into effect. And what it is, is it is the description of the property or the things that you are going to give to someone else. It is the description of an inheritance that is then distributed to those who are important to you. Well, so also the Lord has described our relationship with him that we now have as a description of an inheritance in terms of his will. This was given in Hebrews chapter 9 between verses 15 and 17. Beginning in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15, it says, And for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. I believe that this is the primary description of the subject of the will of God. It is the description of an inheritance that we have received as a result of his death. Now, his death on the cross is referring to the very death of God, the death of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who died for the sins of humanity. And when he did that, there was a transition from the old covenant to the new covenant, where the new covenant went into effect. The new covenant did not go into effect while he was here preaching and teaching on earth. The new covenant went into effect after he died. Precisely when that happened, of course, is up for debate. Did it happen immediately after he died, or did it happen when he rose from the dead, or did it happen when he restored to us the spirit of life that had been lost in Adam through his resurrection on the day of Pentecost? Exactly when that happened, I'm not going to debate or argue with. What I do know is that right now and today, it certainly is in effect. And what it is, is it is a description of an inheritance that we have received. And we have received quite a bit freely from our God as a result of what he has already done for us. And that is a very critical point that many people are not aware of, just simply not aware of, have no idea about at all. And yet I believe sincerely that this is the predominant concept of the will of God for our lives as Christians, as believers in the Lord Jesus. And yet in most cases, this simply is unknown. It is untaught. It is not even considered. And yet I sincerely believe it is vital. It is critical because we now live our lives instead with what we are trying to obtain 
or with the choices that we have with hopes that we might make the right choice to obtain the most from it. These are the kinds of decisions that many people are trying to make. Instead of trying to live life that way, there's a completely different way of living that we have at our disposal. And that way of life has to do with living in accordance with what we have instead of trying to live in accordance with what we hope to obtain. That is a big difference in terms of how we live our daily lives and how I believe our God would expect us to live our daily lives. I don't think that our God wants us to live our daily lives trying to figure out what he desires for us to do or not to do so that we can maximize our life experience in the context of the benefits for our flesh, what we can obtain or what we cannot obtain. I sincerely believe that our God has a different way for us to live, and that is on the basis of what he has already freely given to us. And so instead of looking at the will of God in terms of what we are going to obtain, Consider the will of God in this context, which is on the basis of what you have already received. And this presents an entirely new way of life for many people when considering the subject of the will of God in this context. Otherwise, the only thing you're going to be able to do is be preoccupied with what you hope to obtain from God, most of which he probably either never came to give or is not going to give. And that is a good description of how many Christians are living their life, wandering around in their life experience, looking for things from God, hoping to have some answers in terms of how they should make their choices and how they should make their decisions, and yet they have no concept of what they already have, absolutely no concept of what they have already been given. And so because of this, they do not grow. A Christian, a born-again believer in Christ Jesus will not grow until they grow to discover what they have already received from the Lord their God. If they do not know what they have already received, then they are not going to be able to apply what they have received. And if they cannot apply what they have received, then what are they hoping that God is going to give them? What do you think the Lord is going to give you? What do you think he's going to do for you if he has already done and given to you so many things that you can begin to apply right now and you are choosing not to do so? If you reject what he has already given, what makes you think he is going to give you more? Now, he might, and I certainly am not going to suggest that he won't, but this is a big problem. I sincerely believe that this is a significant challenge that most people in Christianity are dealing with, and it is because of this predominant teaching about the will of God, that the will of God is not to be the focus of what you think your God wants you to do or not do, or what his desire is for a decision that you have an opportunity to make, that is not the focus of the will of God for your life. The focus is the description of the inheritance that you have already received in Christ Jesus your Lord, that you now have at your disposal, that you are now to walk in this life with and use and utilize and make use of as you engage the world around you. And in that way, you will be able to live in accordance with what you have, with what he has given to you to live your life with. And I will continue in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, 
P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. <laughs>